and welcome back to We Not Me, the podcast where we explore how humans connect to get stuff done together. I'm Dan Hammond. And I am Pia Lee. And how is how are you doing, Pia? And how is your move going more to the point? Oh, it's all very exciting. We actually settled on um, on Friday, which means all the paperwork happens. Uh, quite interesting um, because our friend, the goat, that nearly tossed me out of uh, the, the last story when I went to to have a look around the property and had a little altercation with a local goat. He nearly became part of the settlement. I've never heard of that before where we were asked whether we were going to keep him, which I declined, actually. Thought maybe we, we, we weren't going to be the best friend. a disappointment, I know. anyway. Understandable. I know. But it's going really well. And it, it is really interesting because we've got all these teams of people working around us to enable this to happen, you know removalists, estate agents, conveyances. We had to do tests. And it's really interesting to, to experience how they put you either at the centre of, of that experience to make it an easy one, or there's little things that are, that are niggling and, and make that experience a, you know, a difficult one. And just sort of take the edge off it. And it's a, it's a lovely segue, of course, into the, today's show because we're going to be talking to Stuart Diel. He's a um, he really knows his onions about teams, and um, he's spent his career actually really helping organisations to deeply understand life from the point of view of the of their own customers. And you know, I met him here a long time ago, and he what he did with us in in the organisation I was in was help to create this customer centric culture, which for a start rocketed us from four to first market share but just as importantly helped all of our teams to be just have a real sense of purpose and meaning to go into work every day to serve our customers and it was a it was a wonderful thing so we had to get him on the show so let's head over and and uh and hear the interview now Stuart, it is an absolute delight to have you on We Not Me. Thank you so much for joining us. Fantastic to be with you, Dan and Pierre. We are excited to have you too, Stu. It's going to be fun today. Why don't you start by telling us a little bit about yourself, Stuart, and how you came to be in this place now? Oh, yes. it's. Um, I've been in this area for the last 25 years, Dan. Which I always think when you say something like that, it just makes it sound like you're just old. <laughs> you're not just old. <laughs> not at all, Stu. But which area have you been in for 25 years? <laughs> yeah, so no, I started out in, I was a, what they used to call the cl- a classical FMCG background of sales and marketing and all that good stuff. And then spent a lot of time in marketing and then just got more and more interested in, in really the customer side. And uh, back in the 90s, managed to get myself over to a conference in, uh, on customer uh, service as it was called then much before it got called customer experience and then really have devoted my time till then and just been great to work across the globe with all sorts of organizations helping them to really be fantastic with their customers the customer obviously it's important but what are we talking about when we talk customer centricity what are we talking about well there's all these sorts of terms that have come up in this arena and customer centricity is one i think that's Coming back in flow, but more interest now. But so, so when we say customer centricity, it's I go back to first of all Peter Drucker, good old Peter Drucker. He's always good for a, good for a quote, and he said the sole purpose of a business was to create and keep a customer, which just reminds us of the the, the simplicity of business, and everything is just centered around that. But if you expand on that, what you find is that being customer centric is more about more than just offering a good product or 
uh, good staffing in a contact center. It's what, what it's about is an organization that's cultural way of life in the company impacts everything from cust- from employee engagement to customer experience. And customer-centric companies, they just, basically, they just live and breathe their customers. And they're laser-focused on prevent- providing amazing experiences all the way through the customer's experience. You know, so where a lot of companies struggle is to actually deliver that great experience across every touch point and every interaction the company has. Now, I was talking to a client of mine last week and they were saying to me how their customers are dentists and how those they have one of their biggest complaints at the moment, criticisms, is changing the address of a customer. As simple as that, but it's you know a tiny thing, but it's one thing, not for the customer. It's a big thing. So all of those key interactions as uh, customer-centric companies have really worked out. So and we've all had, you have those absolute moments of gold when you have amazing customer service and it really impacts you as a human. And then you have really terrible <laughs> experiences that are, are feeling mildly traumatic because you just dig over them and just feel, just, I think, feel so disrespected sometimes in a moment at, when you think you should be the, the centre of everything. So has it, has this changed over time? Have we become more customer centric? Because our businesses have just got crazier and busier and it's a bit of a pothole, isn't it? You could become internally focused instead of customer focused. So what's happened over time from your view? It is changing. Um, there's no doubt that we all know about the impacts of, of the pandemic and that I do think is affecting people's evaluation of their customer centricity so just to quote you a couple of things it has to be right because 32 percent of purchases now are online which is pretty staggering if you think about it it wasn't long ago that we were still talking about retail versus online yes but online is still a small part of the market and that's expected to go to 37 percent after the pandemic is over. So 60% of people's income has been affected, most likely negatively. So people have re-evaluated what they're purchasing, who they're purchasing it from, and we're less tolerant. I think that's what COVID has done. It's just led to customers being more willing to shop around. One of the things that is part of customer centricity is, which has got a lot of favour, and I agree with it, is this idea of ease, making things easy for customers. I forget who it was that came up with a a measure called the customer effort score. And I think that actually is a brilliant measure. And I think it will become more relevant now in in the COVID world. Unfortunately, only 20% of customers actually think that the companies they buy from are customer centric, which is unfortunate. Clearly, this is a big issue, Stuart, and getting not getting any easier for everyone, probably not getting easier for organisations. But, you know, we're all about teams here. What... What role can teams play in making this work uh, better for the customer, but also for the organisations that are trying to serve them? Yeah, I'd go as far as to say, Dan, that if you are customer, you cannot be customer centric if you don't have mutual understanding across the teams in organisations. They don't have an if there isn't an appreciation of each other's roles, the teams are the different roles that they're playing, and effectively uh, an organisation, however big it is, working as one large team, 
you can't be customer centric. And unfortunately, the natural state of an organization, because of the way it gets structured, is not very teamy, unfortunately. We have silos in place. And what was it? What was it, Charles Handy, who said organizations for massive, they, we turn in on ourselves. The natural state, I say to many people, is to be uncustomer centric. And teams is the way to, to, to get through that. And I think of all the best examples I can think of real customer centricity, sort of knock your socks off experiences have been to do with teams, people working together, working closely together, cleverly together. In the UK here, we have a pret And I was in one on Saturday and it was fantastic to see how it just, it's a coffee shop, it's a sandwich shop, but you had six or so people behind the counter just beautifully working as one. No division of roles, no hesitation to actually tell each other what needed to be done. People checking on each other, checking that they'd followed through. If they hadn't done, picking it up for what the customer needed. It was beautiful. Stuart, I'm so glad you mentioned Pret because that's one of my favourite places and often I'm, I'm observing them th- sort of through your lens actually having worked with you I often stand there and waiting for my coffee and, uh, and and observe so I'm really glad that it's one of your favorites as well and one of my personal favorites which was I had the uh, the pleasure many years ago of staying in a, a Mandarin Oriental in Singapore at the expense of my client which was I, I hasten to add and I, I remember walking out of the lift and walking down a corridor towards my, my bedroom, and one of the, the staff, I'm sure they don't call them staff, at greeting me and knowing who I was. And I, to this day, I, still, I, I know it would be something to do with teams. I know it would be something to do with somebody somewhere else sharing that information. But to this day, I still think, how did they know it was me at that particular moment on that particular floor? There you go. So all of the standouts are about teams. And the opposite, of course, is we've all had these experiences. So the opposite is the case where people have not coordinated. Mark, the marketing team runs a great campaign that, that generates all this demand. And then we ring up the call center and we can't get through. All the calls are, all the lines are busy because nobody's told the call center there's going to be increased demand. It just follows through for me all the time. The best examples are people working together closely, understanding what they do, and the opposite is where the experiences are, are uncustomer centric Because we're a, a socially connected ecosystem, we tell each other all about it. You know, so I noticed yesterday one of our listeners, Sophie, put up um, a post on LinkedIn, which was a response to her local cafe bar where she'd been poorly served by one of the, one of the newer guys in this cafe, and she had given specific feedback, not to belittle it, but actually taking the time to write to give her customer to give her a customer experience. The the letter that she got back, which was absolutely fabulous, humble, accepting, practical, really putting her at the centre, really acknowledging her feedback. She posted that on LinkedIn. Oh boy. Imagine if that had been a different experience. I think Dan and I both were humming along to, wasn't it United that <laughs> made up the song about the, about their poor, you know, the poor experience, the guy sitting on the tarmac. And that's what happens is that our experiences are viral. So it really matters because th- this 
it, it isn't just a grumble because my coffee's late and a bit cold. We start telling people and that can have a material impact on the business. Very much so. It was, there, there, there still are the odd organisation that when you, you ask the question, how many people does a disgruntled customer tell? They're still quoting a, a statistic from 15, 20 years ago, one in 10. You can't put a figure on it now. I know there's an organization in the States called TARP that last measured it, and this was many years ago, and even then they were saying it was 2,500. But frankly, if you, want to tell, if you want to tell the world, you can now. I don't think that's got as much traction as you'd think it would have still with organizations, but definitely it has that. It, it does have that impact. The other thing that th this also talks to is when we say about the role of teams, the, there's a part of the team in an organization which has to be involved in all of the, the work around the customer. And that's the front line. Because the front line is often the person who's told by the customer of these things. So that's another bit of where the team comes in. They have to be present really everywhere because all too often what what I see is organizations invest a lot in customer insight. But the one thing we often forget that we, we're hearing from customers each and every day, and that's for the people who are speaking to customers on the front line, whether that's sales folks or retail staff or a chat online. It really doesn't matter, but they're talking to customers all, all day. So they have a huge part to play, which I think we'll talk a little bit more about. I get, I'll give you an example on that one. Another one, I was doing some call listening in an organization that pro provides the, the emergency pendants for primarily elderly folk, but people in need of care. And I was listening into a call and this customer, this uh, elderly lady said to the, to the advisor, I've got the man's pendant. You've given me a man's pendant. To cut a long story short, there is no such thing as a man's pendant. Was it shaped like a medallion? <laughs> it could well it have It had been. ribbon on it or something like that, was it? <laughs> some of, some of Gold medallion, who knows? But I was fascinated because I spoke to the advisor afterwards and I said, well, is that, that's, that was a bit weird, isn't it? Do, do we have men's pens? That's when I learned that they don't. And I said, so then I said, do, do you hear that one often? And they said, oh, every day. Have you ever mentioned it to anybody? No, no. So there's all this information that's coming to organizations every day, but, but it's just, they're not, they're missing a trick in, in capturing that. And what I'm seeing that's interesting is we're seeing... We think we're in teams, but we're often groups of individuals and they've got individual KPIs often around a customer as a specific metric. And it becomes almost competitive to meet those individual metrics. And without having a shared goal, then the customer ends up suffering. You can feel like you're, you're in the middle of the, my, my, the proverbial piranha tank because you're being pulled and the, the customer's being pulled in different directions and not feeling like they're having a seamless experience as the customer wants from the product that they have bought. And that's a real challenge. So I would imagine then to get that shared goal of put, put that customer centricity as a mindset, a behavior, and as a metric right in the heart of the team. Is that unique? So you're absolutely right, Pierre, and it is a big part of it to have those aligned goals. And uh, am I seeing a lot of it? I'm seeing some of it, but I'm, but sadly, I think not enough for, uh, for organizations who want to be customer centric, breaking away from that. Well, I had another example the other day where, where we were working with a software organization and you had the sales. This is quite a classical one. I think we've probably all been on the receiving of this the end of this one. So you've got sales 
and then you have implementation. So when the sale is made, implementation get involved, how do we actually deliver what's been sold? And then you have support. And it's support who speak to the customer later. And those three functions never talk together and never had. And some of that was to do with goals. It wasn't just goals. It's about time. It's about that I need to go and spend time with those other folks in this busy world. So is that really important? Do I need to do that? So that doesn't happen for that reason. But when they did, it was astonishing. And they've in fact agreed, this team has agreed now, all they need to do is support attends the implementation meetings. And they can actually understand what's actually been sold a bit better. And they can also have a bit of a say to say, wait a minute, you need to just take account of these factors of what we can and can't do. So there you have three functions who very rarely come together and offs. And now they know what each other do. And this is something we find, we, we find always happens, always happens. If you get those cross-functional teams together and they talk about what they do, it's guaranteed that somebody, that they'll all say at some stage, oh, that's what happens. Oh, that's interesting. I, oh, I didn't know that. And so it's, it, they love it. They actually love it if they do it. They've just got to invest the time and be, be allowed, I guess, just be given the permission to be able to do that sort of thing. If we, if we zoom out from the team for a minute, and how can organisations, maybe top teams, start to create this for their whole structure? You talked about the importance of frontline, but how, how, how would you go about that from an organisational standpoint? Well, it's got to come from the, 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 the top first down, and we call it actually top-down-led, bottom-up created. I had occasion some years ago, I was uh, dealing with Tesco, and uh, some years later, I was selling to Tesco. I was, I was managing that account in, uh, in, in about the late Iron Age. And, and uh, I went back there to do some work with them some decades later. I remember walking through their head office in Chessent at the time, being very nervous, trepidatious, if that's another word, that of going in there. But they'd completely changed. And at the time, Sir Terry Levy, which who really had transformed Tesco, he spent three days in stores. So he based himself three days a week in stores. So he could be close to customers. He could be close to the front line. And so it starts there. And so they are tuned in to listening to that front line, which we've talked about already. And that's where it, that, that's where it begins. And then we move on to how do we actually also, not just hear directly from the front line, but how do we also get the voice of the customer into the organization? So I mentioned that most organizations have some customer insight team now, but that, that information's got to get through to everybody on a regular basis. So they, they are hearing what the customer is saying to them and how their work relates to that. Some organizations have actually blurred the notion that there is a divide between themselves and the customer. They operate in a way where the customer is really just a natural extension of their team. They're, they are part of the team. So there's a, there's a couple of things. And I think the other bit is then... Of course, as we know, with all great teams, they have a clear vision, they have a clear set of values and expectations. And, and again, all the, the great customer-centric companies have done that, but done it really well. They have visions or purposes that really resonate with their people. Tony and Shea, who was running, uh, for, founded Zappos in the States, he consulted with everybody in the organizations about what their values should be. So it's in... It's top-down 
led as you say what, what what can a team do anyone listening to to the podcast today they're running a frontline team what can they do to start to play an active role in this where, where, where would you suggest they start Stuart? I think any team, the, the way to first start is well, we've, we've got the top-down led and the bottom-up created. One of our other principles is then to start really moving from thinking about customers to thinking like customers. And uh, what we mean by that is that, that actually it's interesting that it's not that companies are not thinking about their customers. They are an awful lot. They talk about them all the time but it's the way they talk about them and the way they think about them. So what a team needs to do is to start to think like their customers. And so what that typically involves is getting their teams together, getting other people who we've already touched on, getting uh, other people that they interact with from within the organization together, anybody that they are synchronous with, and starting to spend time to really look at the customer experience from start to end. That's become quite a a well-known approach called customer journey mapping and really get into the detail of what it's like to be a customer. But there's some nuances I'd, I'd give here. So what a team needs to do is start to think about not just when they touch the customer, because that's that, again, has been a good concept, a good approach in customer centricity that touch moments of truth, which was coined by Jan Carlson 30 years ago, Scandinavian Airlines. But there's that we, we have a thing called thought points, And so that's really what is the customer thinking and feeling. And if you start to get into that and you start to map it in detail, real detail, start to map what the customer in between the moments when they're in contact with you, you start to build a real rich picture of what the customer experience is like. And what you'll find is there's stuff that you do well and there's stuff that you don't do so well. And so you start to identify those things. So it it starts with that way of looking at the experience. I must say, having used this this approach, it was fascinating to me to (laughs) realise... It was sort of obvious when you think about it, but the journey of a customer is an emotional one. The the touch points are minimal, actually. Most of it is is going on in your head, away from away from any interaction at all. So that was a really surprising thing. And I think teams can, if, to me, thinking in that way could be a, a really useful one. And as you say, thinking like the customer, not just about them. Yeah, we've been doing work recently with social housing and applying that, helping them to apply that approach. And of course, it's a lot of it also happens before you even start to touch the customer. So you'll start to search for a property and and uh do you have you ever dealt with social housing before do you know how it works do you know where to go do you know what who to contact who who else is involved and so when you start to map that out you realize and i know it sounds simplistic but it it starts to become really quite obvious some of the things that you could do for customers to make their lives better so yes we call it also the white space, that's the bit between the, the touch points. That's the stuff. It's what's the customer doing you can't see them doing, but it affects their experience with you. And I think I, I just thought of two examples while you were, while you were saying that, Stu. And I think you've, you, you've, I'm stealing your thunder here, but I think you, you talk about taking things from a tragic experience to a magic experience. And if I can articulate that, my partner... A telephone carrier said that it would be offline while some work was being done for two weeks. And here we are three months later. 
and she's not been able to make a telephone call. That's pretty tragic. And then on the other side of things, then I think of probably the most magical experience, which I, I think you probably know is going to Disneyland. The absolute care and attention to making every touch point and thought point to the element where my kids remember it such a visceral experience going there because so much attention was put into that whole experience. But there must be things that we are doing inadvertently as a tragic that we can turn around to become a magic. I'm pretty sure that teams together could could get some quick fixes here. So back in 1998, when I first went off to the Worldwide Customer Service Conference, you can imagine it's very Disney, isn't it? Tragic and magic. I remember they might have mentioned something there and it stuck. And, and actually, Dan, to shout out to, to when we worked together, I remember you called it Tragic to Magic. That was the brand for it, T2M, which was, which was, which was a great way, of, uh, great way of looking at it. And to your point, Pierre, the, what you find is when you look at it this way, with this level of detail, looking at the thought points, looking at the white space, mapping it all out, invariably, what you do find is the things you can do are high impact and low effort. Most of them are, actually. And, and again, a, an unfortunate thing I do see is organisations are often putting in place things which might be great ideas, but they're difficult, they're expensive, and they're not going to be there for several years. So the customer's not going to feel anything different at the moment. That's a great question I pose to people all the time. Is ask yourself, whatever you're doing, when is the customer going to feel it? And what are they going to feel differently? The old, again, to can show my age, Tom Peters, remember, in search of excellence. And one of the things he said was, we do 10 times better, but 10 times the same. That's what a lot of customer experience work is, I think, can end up up if you're not careful. The customer doesn't feel anything particularly different. I was, I was remember going there with my family and I'd been to this conference. I'd had this strange experience of going to the conference on my own, but staying in a Disney resort. And so I learned about some of the things that Disney do. And when I went there with my family a few years later, I was told off my wife, she said, you're not here on work to actually observe all the Disney things. Cause I was caught by my wife pacing out the distance between the waste paper bins, the big bins that they have in the, the theme park. She said, what are you doing? I said, well, I remember, and I never got to check this out a couple, few years ago, that they've measured the distance between them, the optimum distance, so that people don't drip, drop litter. Because they've learnt that nobody ever looks behind them. They only look ahead. Stuart, you have left us with some lovely stories, but, but importantly, some inspiration, I think, for, for, for teams to really crank up this part of their work and speaking personally you know i know that this can really bring meaning and value to work so i'm really hoping any teams out there can take something away and and apply it to their own work whatever they do so thank you so much for joining us today Stuart. my absolute pleasure happy to be with you Stuart was as ever full of practical examples and these experiences sort of brimming over isn't it and it just just jumped out at me this challenge actually for organizations here that it's got to be connected all the way through it's it, it can't be relied on anyone so you know teams really are at the center of this but the whole organization has to connect in order to deliver these experiences 100 percent. It's, it's a bit like you know the sort of swiss layer cake sort of thought and imagery there it, it you know when you cut it it's got to look the same all the way through 
Um, so that top down, that 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 bottom up, you know, to me, it's it's got to be omnipresent. It's got to be such a cultural strength and such a commitment. Otherwise, it just feels like a token. Teams that set themselves apart make this a shared common goal because the organisation may be pulling them apart by measuring them by individual KPIs. So inadvertently, the, the organisation is creating a less customer-centric behaviours. So customer-centric financial goal, but it's the behaviours could then pull it apart. So what's the team got to do to really sit down and go, let's be committed to this. What do we see as the overall customer experience that we want them to have? And I think that would be incredibly powerful absolutely and i've seen this in my own work in the corporate world where we had customer metrics in everyone's in everyone's objectives so everyone was really aligned around that and to be honest it was sort of a bit challenging at times it was an accounts receivable clerk i remember who said you know how can i you know you you got me to expect affect the customer experience yeah you can and it's it would just prompted so many great conversations to say no actually we we can all affect that so there are some really good ways of aligning that even within a team to make sure that as you say that we're not pulling apart and that's really important too because i think the myth is this is a sales thing and it's not it's an organizational and it's the team of teams it's having this as the core dna of every single person's role is instrumental into creating that that customer experience and thinking like not about which is the mindset which strikes me that You've got to take it seriously. It's a lot of detail. Got to, you got to, you got to really focus on this. I think the mindset is essential. And inside teams, the other thing I've seen is that, you know, we've talked a lot about the conditions for success in teams: clarity, climate, and competence. As you say, you need all of those. It's very easy to say, "Oh, that person at the front line, they're really good at customer service." If they, if they don't have the those other conditions in their team, the clarity of the goal, you know, the processes and the culture. Their, their behaviours just aren't going to shine through in the end. So it's really essential for teams to to build all of those conditions, everything you need to, to, to be focused on that customer. And as you say, the detail... I, I think this is a this is a fascinating point, and you know we've worked uh, in this way, Pierre, ourselves, haven't we, to sort of look at that as as um, Stuart said, yeah, look at the touch points, but what are the thought points? What what's going on in the mind of the customer, and to really empathise with that as well. I think that's the other thing is is that it's a it's a practice I think that teams can get into. And when I, what I've seen is that people teams will sort of say, "Well, what are our customers? What are our customers thinking at this point or feeling?" Sometimes the question, the answers don't come. But if you keep asking the question, keep exploring it together, you really get a full picture of that sort of psychological journey that the customer's going through, and you can really then empathise with them in order to do something different to serve them. And I think that's really at the heart. It's it's pretty it's pretty exciting shift actually, rather than just seeing a process, seeing uh, uh, what the you know that psychological journey yeah and i think that's such a such a key point it's not sympathetic feeling sorry for them it's empathetic understanding them and actually that will be key to your competitive advantage because you'll be able to really almost predetermine what some of those friction points may be and to take them out before they actually happen so that in this in this world 
that will make a huge difference and next week we're actually building on this theme in 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 some way because we're going to be taking a look at diversity aren't we here with um with sahira our special guest and sahira's set up a, a worldwide female mentoring organization and has got and really had an interesting journey so i i think this is going to be quite a special conversation and i think one that actually will get all of us to think a little bit about how we embrace it and bring all those diverse parts to a, a more meaningful discussion. Really looking forward to it. So that's it for this episode. You can find show notes and resources at Scottify.net. Just click on the We Not Me podcast link. If you've enjoyed the show, please do share the love and recommend it to your friends. Um, we Not Me is produced by Mark Stedman of Origin. Thank you so much for listening. It's goodbye from me. And it's goodbye from me. 